0: Morning doesn't begin for many of us until we've had that first cup of caffeine. And even that cup isn't often complete until we add a spoonful or two of sugar. But how many of us stop to think about how that sugar gets made? For some communities in Palm Beach County, Florida, that's all they can think about. And it starts with the harvest season. That's when the sugarcane companies start burning the fields to get at the delicious product that helps make our morning tea or coffee that much
1: sweeter. Black snow is the name that folks in the community gave to the ash that is a byproduct of cane burning.
0: And some of the people there say that those ashes and the smoke
1: are making them sick. The ash really flits in the air lightly when you have wind. It floats before settling on porches, on rooftops, on playgrounds.
0: So, a group of journalists and scientists teamed up to study that smoke, and their investigation has caught the attention of government officials and NASA. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take.
1: I'm Lulu Ramadan. I'm an investigative reporter at
0: the Palm Beach Post. Lulu Ramadan partnered with Ash New and Maya Miller from ProPublica for a one-year investigation into the consequences that sugarcane burning has on communities in Palm Beach County. You not only work at the Palm Beach Post, but you also grew up in Palm Beach County, Florida. So growing up, what did you know about sugarcane and sugarcane burning?
1: I knew we grew sugarcane in Florida. I knew there was a huge hub for sugar production, but I never knew what that process looked like or the fact that it was done by burning. In June 2019, a lawsuit was filed by Glades residents seeking class action status on behalf of the entire community, claiming that sugarcane burning was harming the respiratory health of people living near it. The lawsuit claims the smoke and ash that fills the air during these seasonal burns may be linked to several serious health problems, including respiratory issues as well as property damage. And so when I started to do research, I learned that one of the reasons that I potentially didn't know about it is because I grew up in the suburbs on the east side of the county, whereas the west side of the county where the Glades communities are... They're experiencing the smoke, but back in the 90s, the state passed some rules to bar sugarcane burning when the wind was blowing toward the east. But
0: the people who live on the west side of the county are not as fortunate. It's made up of low-income communities with mostly Black and Hispanic residents.
1: The Glades could not be more different from the rest of Palm Beach County. There is this really interesting dynamic where you have West Palm Beach and then Palm Beach, which I think most famously now is the home of former President Donald Trump, where you have this luxurious estate, Mar-a-Lago, and just 40 miles west, straight shot across one road. You get to Belle Glade, where it's definitely a more low-income agricultural community. You have apartment buildings, some areas that are falling apart. You have uh, a mixture of sort of like middle-class homes that you would find in the suburbs, but also lots of trailer parks and crumbling roadways. Definitely does not look like the rest of Palm Beach County.
0: Some of this will sound a little bit basic, but I know a lot of people will not be familiar with it. What is sugarcane and what do we use it for?
1: So sugar cane is this a dense plant it's used for production of multiple products you know cane sugar pure cane sugar molasses but the only part that's really useful is that inner cane the stalk the inside of it is what's used to produce that sugar and molasses and in order to harvest it you need to get rid of those dense leaves on the outside there's really uh, not a use for them for food production and so there are a number of ways to remove the leaves in florida most sugar growers burn the leaves so that you can just get to that. Sucrose-rich stock. And in other parts of the world, though, they harvest cane by removing the leaves with blades using, you know, a more mechanical method.
0: So presumably burning it is just more time efficient, quicker way to
1: harvest? It's cheaper. It's really just a cheaper harvest method. For Florida sugar growers, you can burn an entire crop between, let's say, 40 to 100 acres at a time and get rid of those leaves all at once versus using machinery, using manpower. So paint a
0: picture for us. When and how do the burnings happen?
1: So when you go out to the glades during burn season, you'll see sporadically bursts of dark smoke, little low-hanging clouds throughout the community. You're looking at a community that's pretty much surrounded by cane on all sides, except for Lake Okeechobee. And when you get close to them, they're very fast and intense fires. They burn for less than an hour. They produce smoke, which rises really quickly into the air. And you can smell it. You can smell it throughout the community. And that's one thing that people who live out there have really learned to adapt to this. If you have respiratory issues, you should go inside, avoid it.
0: So talk to me about some of the people you met. The people that come to mind immediately are the Sanson brothers who you start your story with. How are they affected?
1: Yeah. I met Thelma Freeman and her grandsons, Donathan Jason, while we were trying to engage as many people as possible in the community. I went to their home in Pahokee to interview them in February. It was the boys' third time outside that month. Their grandmother keeps them inside during burn season when the smoke and ash are really lingering because they have asthma. They were hospitalized for eight weeks because of breathing problems. And at one point, one of the boys wanted to take his scooter and go play outside in the lawn. And his grandmother stopped him because there was ash in the air and kind of described it as like, I can't because we know it'll happen. And that felt like a very just impactful moment that really illustrated what it's like for people in the community who have to live their lives avoiding the smoke and ash because of breathing problems they have.
0: And it sounds like they can't even do what kids do and be real kids and play outside because of this. So they're pretty much stuck inside for how long? How much of the year?
1: A lot of the year. And that's really the sad part we had a second story about the health impacts in the community and another example of a mother and her son who had bad reactions to the smoke. And she'd explained to me that she had to t- take her son out of outdoor sports. And it, it was something we heard from a lot of people, daycare owners, who said that they had to take the kids that they were at the daycare inside throughout the day. We talked to a lot of school teachers who describe cancelling outdoor recess or having announcements made over the loudspeakers across the campus saying, hey, avoid the outdoors today because it's a smoky day. Some members of the community spoke to us
0: about how they adapt their lives around the harvest season, which is winter and spring. Here's Robert Mitchell, a 42-year-old singer who lives between Bell Glade, Florida and Los Angeles, California.
2: We experience the sugarcane burning approximately eight months out of a year, giving us a succession only during the summer months. I have family members that have been directly impacted by this sugarcane burning. I have a direct family member that is suffering with asthma. And during the burning season, it is horrible.
0: Robert told us he divides his time between the East and West Coast. So he leaves his hometown for Los Angeles pretty regularly.
2: I am a singer. And anytime I'm home during the burning season, I'm not able to sing. I get a very horrible hoarseness over my voice. And I know it's directly related to the sugarcane burning because whenever I travel abroad, all of a sudden, like magic, within a day or so, my voice clears up. You would think this would be a common sense Notion, especially during the time of a major pandemic that actually affects our respiratory systems, the way that we breathe here. So you would think someone would care enough about the community and the people to say, Hey, At the least, let us do the same things that we did over to our neighbors to the east and our more affluent communities. And let's go ahead and propose some buffers around the communities that does not allow the people of Bell Glade, Pahokee and South Bay to experience um, the impact of smoke directly in their backyards.
0: We also talked to Christine Lewis-June, a 19-year-old student born and raised in Bell Glade. She recently graduated from high school there and told us that she and her classmates couldn't even take lunch breaks outside.
3: During this harvest season, we didn't really get a chance to sit outside because of the black ash. It could fall into our foods. We inhale all that air. It is just uneasy. It falls on our clothes, our backpacks. It just overall makes us uneasy. So we were forced to sit inside the cafeteria or go inside the library, as opposed to sitting out on the courtyard.
0: Christine said that while she worked at a local clinic, she witnessed the health issues the burning season created within the larger community.
3: In my time there, I come in contact with patients' medical records. And in these medical records, you are able to see patients coming in for respiratory issues, specifically asthma, other illnesses. So maybe sometimes patients, they will come in and they would ask the doctor to write them a prescription for them to get those medical instruments beforehand so that when harvest time starts and we have to experience the black snow, they would already have all the necessities that they need. We are being forced to adjust our lives around this sugarcane harvest.
0: So how is the air quality measured in the area? During their research, Lulu and her colleagues at ProPublica found that there's just one government-run air monitor in the city of Belle That one monitor is supposed to analyze the air of the entire 400,000-acre area of the Glades. The problem is that that monitor has been malfunctioning for the last eight years, and it's not in compliance with the Clean Air Act, a U.S. federal air quality law created to reduce and control air pollution in the country. So the group of reporters, with the help of scientists, decided to measure the air quality themselves.
1: So we placed low-cost sensors that are used by lots of academics They're the size of a coffee mug. They're little white sensors that you hang outside of your home and they have this sort of sensor technology inside them that can take in the air and then assess how much particulate matter pollution is in it because it's linked to respiratory and cardiac issues. These sensors were placed for four months of the burn season so that we could look at pollution patterns and we combined the data from the sensors with state burn permits, which is how uh, the state tracks burning. Each burn is authorized using a permit and plume data that basically predicted where the smoke would travel. What we found were short and repeated spikes in particulate matter pollution throughout the day.
0: The federal government measures particulate matter using 24-hour increments and annual averages. But Lulu says that this measuring technique doesn't offer a full picture. So why is it important to measure short-term pollution in this case?
1: So we found that the framework for measuring pollution using those 24-hour and annual averages, according to experts who reviewed this, can obscure those short bursts. The purpose for measuring pollution that way is that federal regulators, they want to avoid policing individual incidents If there is a house fire and the air quality spikes one time as a result of a single house fire, for instance, you don't want to get slapped with a violation of the Clean Air Act for one house fire.
0: But because the framework for measuring pollution fails to capture short bursts, there's no federal assessment of the impacts of cane burning. This is a
1: type of pollution that should be taken into consideration that you should be looking more closely at this because there's a pattern here that could be harmful. And there isn't a lot of research on what this particular type of pollution exposure is like in terms of health and how it could affect the health of the community. The
0: sensors were one part of Lulu's investigation. The other part involved the use of an automated text messaging system. So when they saw spikes in the quality of air through their sensors, they would send text messages through an app to interview members of the communities.
1: So we asked a series of questions of people, things like, you know, what does the air smell like today? And they had options. And they also could write in what their experiences were and also send in photos. It allowed us to do, in essence, mass interviews, if you will, with people in real time, because these fires are very difficult to track.
0: Lulu, other than completely adapting their lives around the smoke and going outside, are these communities organizing in any way?
1: There are people in the community who have started a campaign in coordination with environmental groups, specifically the Sierra Club. And the campaign is called Stop the Burn, and it's aimed at ending cane burning and looking for replacement, and that would be something similar to what's being done in other countries. And that's something that some people in the community, I should say, have rallied against. And we're talking about a community that is really reliant on the sugar industry for jobs. It's the largest employer in the area. That is an argument that the sugar industry has made that it would have a severe economic impact if the industry were to have to shift away from burning.
0: In 2019, the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimated the value of Florida's sugarcane crops at about $648 million. The U.S. is the fourth largest sugar producer in the world. And in your reporting, you talk about their lobbying force. So, how powerful is this industry?
3: The
1: sugar industry definitely holds a lot of power, particularly in the state of Florida. We reported in the story that the industry employed more lobbyists than any other industries in Florida during a time frame between 2018 and 2020. You're also talking about a multi-billion dollar industry that donates a lot of money during election cycles. And all of that is taken into account...
0: What happened after the Palm Beach Post and ProPublica published this story? Have you heard from local officials? Have they taken any actions?
1: We did publish a follow-up story recently on congressional leaders who have called for action on this topic. Senator Merkley from Oregon called for an investigation into that malfunctioning air monitor in Belle Glade so that that doesn't happen again. And Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida also called for some reassessment of the standards and how we're measuring air quality and called on the EPA to consider short-term changes. At the state level, it's a little bit more interesting. The members of the state legislature who represent the Glades as a district have been largely silent on this. We did seek out comment from the two state senators in one state House rep who represent the Glades, and none of them returned our requests for interviews or answered our questions by email.
0: And the sugarcane companies are doing what?
1: So the sugarcane companies have criticized our reporting because sugar companies say the air is safe and they stand firmly on this. In legal filings in response to this federal lawsuit, the sugar companies say that this is a heavily regulated practice, that the air is safe and does not violate any sort of federal standards and kind of maintain that position. One group you did hear from is NASA.
0: NASA got involved and they want to study the impact of sugarcane burning in West
1: Palm Beach County. Talk to us about how that happened. That is a really interesting kind of sequence of events there. Not a lot of people know this about NASA. They think NASA and they just think space. Mm -hmm. But NASA has a branch of the agency that is dedicated to assessing health and air quality. And the reason they're able to do that is because they have satellite technology that can be used to track air pollution. So NASA offers uh, this series of grants to academics who have an interest in studying air quality and can be essentially helped by their satellite So one of the experts that we sought out early on when we were trying to develop our sensors was so interested in the findings and in the project that she put in a grant application to NASA. And NASA ended up approving that application. NASA
0: has already invested quite a bit of money in the project.
1: Research will be spearheaded by a team from Colorado. They'll soon be heading down to the Glades and bringing some advanced technology to investigate air quality during burning season. And... They'll be expanding on our method for assessing the air by placing more air sensors in the community, combining that with the satellite data that I'd mentioned, and uh, they'll also be trying to examine public health trends, which is another sort of step further than we did. Has this
0: made you look at sugar differently and sugarcane differently?
1: Yes. I think throughout the reporting, it did change the way I looked and thought about sugar. Sugar is in everything, like beyond just buying a bag of sugar from the grocery store. I had an editor at one point say, like, I never thought about this until we got like deep into this project. But when I was putting like a little spoonful of sugar in my coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. and now that's all I think about is where it's coming from. And I, I really hope that that's that's the impact of the story though, is we tend to not think about where any of our foods come from. And you don't think about the impact of the people living among it because it is this small and and fairly voiceless fraction of our community. But I hope that this story leads to more of that, where people are like looking at the sugar that they're putting in their coffee in the morning and thinking about how it's being produced.
0: And now I will too. (laughs) So thanks, Lulu. Yeah. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Ruby Zaman, Nagin Oliay, Dina Kispe, Brianka Tove, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El Milek is our engagement producer. Tom Benton is our story editor, and Stacey Samuel is the Takes executive producer. Special thanks to Ash New and Maya Miller from ProPublica, and Chris Costello and Patrick Ferguson from the Sierra Club. We'll be back on Friday.